the way I play video games. Well, I say to myself, any game I play instantly becomes a gay video game mm-hmm. because of the way I play it or like the way I interact with the game. Like, I make it gay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Usually this is the bit where I tell you that we bring on a guest every other week, but this week is a bit of a shakeup. We've got an interview for you a week ahead of schedule, because next Tuesday is election day here in the U.S., Ah! and and a lot of focus, uh, ours included, is going to be on that garbage fire, so we're making a little space and taking the week off. Uh, But we will be back with another interview for you on November 10th and every other week thereafter. This is fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Um, In the meantime, though, uh, I am, as always, your co-host, Jamie. My pronouns are she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer. Pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. So pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. And let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, what game are we talking about today? We, Jamie, are talking about Spiritfarer. Yes, we are. What's Spiritfarer? Game of the summer. The game of the summer of sadness 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Spiritfarer, if you haven't heard of this, it's a a little indie game. Came out on August 18th. Uh, It's on pretty much all platforms, PC and, and the consoles. Uh, developed by Thunder Lotus Games, who I didn't realize when I was playing this, they also made Sundered and Jotun. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Oh, have you heard of either? What do you know? Have you played them? Either of them? I I got Jotun. Okay. A long time ago, and it's a, a same hand drawn animation style. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's like Norse gods or Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. I played like a few hours of it and ultimately dropped it because the mecha- like I just didn't jive with the mechanics. Of the game? Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, we'll get more into that in a second here. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's Thunder Lotus Games. They made Spirit Bear. And this game, I wanted to read the description of the game mm. that they've been using because I think it's uh, it's just interesting and spot on. It's described as a cozy management game about dying. <laughs> that's right, dying. Build a boat to explore the world, then befriend and care for spirits before finally releasing them to the afterlife. Farm, mine, fish, harvest, cook, and craft your way across mystical seas. Uh, so, we're, yeah, I just felt like in the, when I first read that, I was immediately like, <gasps> just because I <laughs> felt like the perfect kind of combination of like Stardew Valley, Animal Crossing kind of vibes with. I definitely feel like something I look for out of games is having my heart broken or cracked open. Yeah. And so this idea of, oh, it's like a farming management sim slice of life thing, plus you're processing really deep feelings. Like I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I need. Um, so I just, yeah, when I, when initially the hype before the game, I was, I was very, I was riveted. Yeah, same. No, absolutely. The, there were two things that put this game like 
at on my radar and like i bought it the day it came out mm-hmm. and i had, i had seen a trailer for it in advance and was like i'm getting that game the second yeah. it comes out which is not something that happens very often with indie games right like mm-hmm. usually you find out about indie games more through like oh this person was talking about this on a podcast but i saw this game and first of all that it's got this gorgeous hand-drawn art style that's almost like disney-esque like really Miyazaki-ish. bright colors yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the a lot of the characters are these anthropomorphized animals, mm-hmm. which is a number one way to get me. Mm-hmm. Like talk, talking animals, I'm in. And then a cozy management game about dying. And there was just something about that that I was like, mm, yes, that's mm-hmm. what I want. That's what I need. I want to snuggle up with a blanket and be cozy and sad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so in the game, you play as this uh, this young girl named Stella. Um, who's existing in the afterlife? Uh, you get the sense that well, you are in the afterlife. So she's already had Is a Stella, a girl. Yeah. I'm, okay, because I kind of am like, I'm like Stella could be non-binary. I guess they use it's, that's true. They use. I think they do sometimes. She, her, her. Yes. But honestly, like, I don't know. She gives me vibes. She's got this total like bipoc, like mm-hmm. chill, like cottage core uh very like butch like ready to like dig a hole or mine some ore but also just like super chill can cook like yep. sh- she's everything anyway <laughs> well yeah i mean that's the thing with her right she's very much a uh like a cipher for us like mm-hmm. she's she's this uh you know bright little character who bounces around the screen she doesn't talk though she doesn't um she doesn't speak but she she does smile she does react to the other characters around her and she always just you just, she just emanates like can do, yeah. like a can do attitude. Like I'm here, I'm showing up, I'm in the moment, and I can do whatever gets thrown at me. And um, empathy, like, yeah. The way that she like she has, I think the dialogue reactions are something that I'm not used to seeing from a silent protagonist. Mm, like she mm-hmm. she will clutch, like she'll if someone says something hard, like she, you really feel the empathy coming from this uh, this character, like you see in her face and her and her stature like she's making space to hold something more painful or she's overjoyed and sharing in someone's success or she's listening intently when someone is being vulnerable like you get a lot of emotion out of Mm -hmm. her that almost like you would be feeling reading this text that I don't really yeah. often see from from RPGs like that. Yeah, there's also characters later in the game who are bombastic or who prattle on for too long and she'll get mm. visibly bored or yeah. just like annoyed with them, like kind of blowing at her hair or like just hanging down, like listening to them like, okay, are you done yeah. now? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, she is really responsive for a silent protagonist. Um, and, and you know, we, we've talked about how we don't really resonate with the silent protagonist in first player games, but mm-hmm. you do get to see Stella on the screen and you get to see her react and that makes her feel more like um, a fully fleshed character, even though she doesn't uh, actually speak. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Stella is the fairy master. Uh, her job, your job in the game is to manage the fairy that goes around and picks spirits up um, around the world, you, you know, it's this giant boat and you're traveling around the ocean, going to these islands and collecting spirits um, in order to take care of them. Uh, the spirits, like I said, are these anthropomorphized animal characters. They all have uh, different challenges that they're kind of working through as they process their life and prepare to move on. Mm-hmm. And you're helping them through that. You're cooking them meals, you're uh, building, building them a little house. house. 
building them a house, decorating their house, making them comfortable, and then doing uh, missions for them. They'll want to go to a specific island to see a specific thing or do a specific thing or talk to a specific person, and you're helping them with all of that. Um, And eventually, at some point, they will tell you that they are ready to move on, and you can bring them to this thing called the Everdoor, which is this really uh, just gorgeously animated um, golden arch Mm that sits in uh, a lake that's surrounded by cherry blossom trees and the water is like glowing red and it's in this perpetual like sunset golden hour kind of mode. And so you'll bring them there and you'll release them to the ever door and their spirit will ascend onto you into the next plane of existence. I think it's and- interesting too, that you have to make the choice to bring them there. Like the spirit yes. will come to you when they're ready and say, I think it's time for me to go to the Everdoor. Like, will you please take me there? And you have to, you have to become ready too to say goodbye to this character that you've yep. loved and cared for. And and you could conceivably make the choice to to not take them there for some time, but it really puts this weight on you of of, of you know teaching you about being open to to change and and remembering that everything ends. I don't know. It's kind of rare for, for a game, I feel. Yeah. And, and that's like the, at the heart of this game, uh, there are some really deep themes, messages, lessons about how we process death, how we experience death, how we let go of people, how we ignore people, even while Mm -hmm. they're still with us, how the like callous mundanity of life, um, pushes Mm. us to move on from the loss of people. Mm. Um, And so so like this game, it's, it's challenging for me to talk about this game because it is both one of the most like deeply emotional and impactful experiences that I've ever had with the game. And also there were so many times that I fucking hated it, Mm. that this game was like dumb and annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. And that sucks to have to like hold those two things because I love this game. And also I think it's not a good game. Yeah. Can you say more about the dumb and annoying parts? Yeah. So as, as we, when when I was reading the description, it's like farm, mine, fish, Mm. harvest, cook, craft. Yeah. There's a fucking lot of that. And it's not really that fun to do. Yeah. And, and like, I love Stardew Valley. Like you mentioned Stardew Valley at the top. I played a lot of animal crossing, like, those games are my jam. Like I'm here for some resource management. This game has too many resources. Yeah, There's too many resources to manage. Like there's at least 30 to 50 different resources you have to keep track of. Mm -hmm. You can build all of these different types of crafting um, structures on your boat to build all of these different things. The recipe book is like a hundred recipes long that you Mm -hmm. could learn to cook and the map is huge. All of these islands to explore. The boat doesn't move that fast. And there's no, there's no like just one logbook that you can go look and keep track of everything that you might need. Oh my need God. Yes. To gather everything that you might, like I literally, I couldn't make progress in this game until I started keeping track on my phone. Like I had oh. to create a note on my phone and start jotting down what resources I needed and where to find them so that I could keep track. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I need 20 silver ingots for five different projects that I'm trying to build. And I can't go to one place in the game and see all of the projects that might need silver ingots. No, I have to go 
over to the carpenter station to see what things I can build. I have to go to the kitchen to see what things I can cook. I have, it's nothing is like housed in one place to keep Mm -hmm. track of it. And so it just makes it confusing and daunting, especially in the earlier game, which I know Spencer, you specifically, you got kind of stuck on this game. Well, we both did, but I kind of moved on from it. But yeah, do you want to say more about that? Yeah, it's just what you're saying definitely resonates. I think for me, I I love the farming aspect and creating things and I but I also am driven by my relationships with the characters. So what happened to me was that I had I was inviting, I was finding spirits and inviting them onto my boat because I was lonely on my boat and wanted my I wanted to have people like community on the boat so that people would have people to talk to while we're traveling. Like I'm like, I'm very into the, the characters. And what I found was that like when you invited spirits onto your boat, they have needs and yeah. they would become unhappy if, for example, you hadn't built their house yet or you hadn't created a meal they like in a while. Um, characters also like can't, they don't want to eat the same thing twice. So I had to make sure to keep a rotation of different dishes and, mm-hmm. Um, what I found is that things like farming and uh, cooking kind of fell to the wayside because I was so busy crisscrossing the map trying to find um, different resources I needed or figure out how to progress certain storylines that it's like, it's almost like, I don't know, I don't know if the game was trying to fit too much into the, it's like you can either focus on the character stories or you can focus on, um, you know, building up your resources, building up uh, the the amenities you have on the boat. Um, but I also found that like the ore that I needed to build someone's house could only be obtained after I learned a certain skill, but I wasn't progressed enough in another character's story to unlock that skill. So I was sort of stuck in this loop of just trying to slowly traverse the map, trying to piece by piece find the resources I need. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, my spirits are getting unhappier and unhappier. Um, so I think I wanted, I was expecting a little bit more freedom to sort of one day at a time, um, similar to like the Animal Crossings in Stardew Valley, like focus on my farm a little bit, focus on my resources, focus on my relationships. But it felt a little bit like the game was expecting me to to do it all at once. And so it was a little bit more stressful than, mm. than the story would initially have you believe mm. it to be. It wasn't very cozy. It gets kind of frank, frantic. <laughs> <laughs> See, though, I think and this, this is another reason I'm torn on this game. Because, like, for me, the issue is not that they have that tension in the game. I think that tension is actually important to the like what I took away from the game. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm giving the game too much credit, but I think that it intentionally wants you to be engaging with that tension of getting caught up in the mundane shit and forgetting about the spirits. Mm. I think it actually wants you to have to try to balance both of those things because that is emblematic of real life. And wow. I found myself really like there when I did finally start clicking with all of the resource management that they wanted us to do. And I was keeping track of it on my phone and I was doing it. I found that I was forgetting to feed the spirit. Yeah. I was forgetting to interact with them. I was letting their missions languish. Mm-hmm. I was forgetting to, and we didn't mention it, but you can hug the spirits mm-hmm. in this game, which is one of the most interesting mechanics I've ever seen in a video game. You can yeah. hug them. And for nearly all of the spirits that increases their mood, 
they all have these different hug animations that are specific to their character and how that character responds to a hug that are just, I, I don't know. This game does a lot with a little, like mm-hmm. you, the way a character hugs you tells you so much about that mm-hmm. character and who they are. And sometimes they don't want to hug. Yeah. They don't always want to hug, right? Like you, there's a timer when you hug someone, they're not going to let you just hug them all the time. So you can't be like cloying. You can't just be like mm-hmm. trying to hug them all the time to make them feel better. Like the hugs are limited. Um, but yeah, when I was getting really sucked into the management sim portion of the game, I was forgetting to take care of them and like striking yeah. that balance. I, I do think the game is intentionally trying to say like, this is what real life is like. There's people here with you that you're actively ignoring because you're so caught up in your own busyness. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that busyness is fun. And sometimes you're just doing it because you have to do it. But it still is a distraction from the actual people in your life. But you also can't just hang on the people in your life because that's not going to get anyone anywhere. So I do think they want you to engage with that tension, but to my mind, it's just, it's just too much. Like the Mm -hmm. game is 30 to 50 hours long. And I really think if they had paired some of that back, um, made it more like a 20 hour, 15 to 20 hour game, I think they could have told a really compelling story that I think more people would be engaged to participate in. I'm Mm -hmm. just worried that, they leaned so hard into that and made the game so long and bloated with that mm. stuff that a lot of people are going to give up on it. Yeah, yeah. It gets a little um, tedious. And and I found that I wasn't sure what I needed to do to move forward. Um, and then, like you said, the boat doesn't move very fast. So I would be crisscrossing the map trying to figure out what I needed to move forward and then getting frustrated because I'd wasted all of my daylight getting to this island that didn't actually have what I needed. And so yep. it's like, uh. <laughs> but yeah. that being said, I that those parts were frustrating, but I did find myself forgiving them because I was so moved by um, by the stories. You mentioned earlier that that the spirits will tell you that they're ready to leave. Did you ever try to hang on to one? Um, I didn't because of guilt. If anything, I'd maybe hang on for a day just because I'd be like, "Oh no, already! Like it, it's time." I wasn't. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't ready. Um, but I guess I just. I was taking it very literally and I was imagining, you know, in my own life, like I, if I loved someone, um, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't necessarily like holding them back is selfish. It's for me. It's to make myself feel better. It's to tell myself that um, things aren't changing, that um, this that things can be this way forever. And, and we all know that's impossible. So um, it was painful but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't do it. Um, so I did, I did do it, but it was always a bit of a, a bit of that pang each time. Yeah. Um, there were, there were two characters near the end that I hung on to because I was getting close to the end of the game and I didn't want to go down to just like one spirit that I was still working on, on the boat. And both of the characters were ready and, they they just retreat into themselves. Like they kind of stop coming out of their houses mm. and interacting. So it's like you, you have to take yeah. them. It doesn't work if you don't. Wow. Yeah. 
is really moving. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so those, those Everdoor scenes, when you do take someone to the Everdoor, uh, you'll, you'll arrive at the Everdoor and they'll give you a dialogue prompt and you can go talk to them and they'll basically say, Hey, we're here. Are you ready to take me? And you say yes. And you go get in your little rowboat and you paddle them out (laughs) towards the Everdoor and this like haunting melancholy, like bells and Mm -hmm. music plays. And as you paddle across the lake, they'll give you this, you have this really extended moment with the character where they're reflecting kind of on their life as a whole and then processing these final moments before their death. And like, if the game was only that, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it would still be stupid powerful, I -hmm. think. There were so many characters, like even characters that I didn't like or that I liked less, like found redemption at the Mm -hmm. Everdoor. Um, You know, there's like, there's this uh, guy who's like a philanderer who's like cheating on his wife. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of like, I was like, you're just kind of an asshole. You're mm-hmm. just kind of like a flatterer. And as we rode to the Everdoor, he just spent the whole time talking about um, just like all these little details about his wife, about how he fell in love with her and why he really cared for her. But he just had always been called to live his life to the fullest because he fought uh, it's implied in World War II mm-hmm. and had watched people die and just couldn't not pursue the things that he enjoyed Mm. um there's these brothers who are like these gangster guys and one of them is personified by this giant bull (laughs) um and the other brother is this little hummingbird and Uh the bull the bull doesn't move he doesn't even walk the hummingbird carries him around um he doesn't talk whoa and the hummingbird does all the talking for both of them he's the one who's constantly telling you on the ship like my brother's hungry you need to feed him (laughs) and you realize as you get on, as you're bringing them to the Everdoor, the whole time the the little hummingbird brother has just been, he's just been a jerk. Like he's been mm. a jerk the whole time on the boat and you're rowing them out there and you realize as he's talking that the bull is, is dead or in a coma. Like he's gone. He's not there. Mm. And the little hummingbird brother is like struggling to process that. Wow. And that's why he's been a jerk the whole time. So it's just like, it's these little animals. And so you're not necessarily expecting the writing to come through and just pierce right at the core of your humanity. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's this character on the boat named Summer. She's a snake and she's a vegetarian or she's vegan and she's like an organic farmer and she's a lesbian and she was married. Um, and so I immediately just really bonded with her. And it's funny because <laughs> I just spent a week uh, on an organic farm, like learning how to work the land and stuff. And something that you said earlier about time management, about how you get so caught up in the mundanity of your everyday tasks um, that you sort of can forget the people um, mm-hmm. and having to balance that. Like I definitely felt this, um, like while I was on the farm, I was getting really into the rhythm of farm life of, of working and sleeping mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and being really connected to the land. But I did realize like, you know, I went a week without really talking to any of my friends or being connected to the world outside of the farm. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, it just, when you said that, it really made me think about, um, like, especially when, you're working in something that's so all encompassing that takes so much effort and presence. Like 
it can be a, a very much of a split of, of, of sort of supporting those two worlds. But anyway, uh, lots of like, just lots of funny parallels, but with Summer's story, um, she is someone who is pursued by this dragon and you encounter the dragon various times throughout your journey. And, and uh, you, uh, when you encounter this dragon, it's diseased. And um, you work to sort of chip away at, at these uh, rock, almost like tumors that are on the dragon. And when you do that, um, it's sort of intimidating, scary scary exterior melts away and uh it sort of looks very relieved at you and then it quietly swims away um and every time that this happens summer um becomes very upset um she retreats into her house and she comments on how she keeps hoping that she won't run into the dragon again but knows that she will um and each time even though it hurts her um, to have to encounter the dragon, she knows that um, she needs to to help it in some way. Um, mm-hmm. And so eventually, uh, it gets to the point where Summer comes to you and says, you know, I, I can't outrun the dragon anymore. Mm-hmm. I wanted more time with you, but I think it's time for me to go. I know that my wife... Um, like I would hope that she doesn't think poorly of me um, for for giving up or for stopping, but I just know that my time is over, and um, you know it, it's time for me to go. And like I was very, I guess there's a lot of ways that you could interpret what the dragon is. It could be um, it could be an illness that returns. It could be. Um, like I, I very much interpret it as, as as someone who lives with major depression and PTSD and a generalized anxiety disorder. Um, yeah. I don't really talk about it much because it freaks people out, but I think of my anxiety as a as a beast, as a dragon um, that lives inside me. And I and I I think early in my mental health journey, I thought that um, getting help meant that one day. I would not have to deal with anxiety anymore, that it would be cured. But what I've learned instead is that this beast is always there watching me and some days it's stronger and some days it can't be contained and Mm -hmm. other days we're able to coexist. But even things like what I eat, how I wake up, what's in my surrounding, that can stir up the beast, that can make it see me, that can, um, you know, I've, I've really been struggling to sleep these past few months and I, and I find that, um, it feels like this presence, like if I move too suddenly, um, and it sees me, then I'm not able to go back to sleep. Like it's there, it's with me. Um, and so I've often felt like I've often been afraid that there will come a day that I'm too tired to, to fight it anymore or that I'm too weak and I, and you know, people like me, sometimes they commit suicide. And for a long time I thought that would never be my reality, but there have been times where that's a conversation that I've had to have with myself of what might that be like? And I, (laughs) I am not like, 
all that I'm trying to say is that um, I've had to learn that my relationship to my mental illness is never going to just fix itself. Um, there may never be a day where the anxiety is gone. Um, instead, I have to live with it and and communicate with it. Um, and if I ever were to not be able to go on anymore, um, that's not necessarily a failure on my part. I will fight however hard I can. I'm not saying that I wanna that I want to die. Um, but but mental illness can be really hard. Uh, that's like I it's hard in ways that I can't even always articulate. Um yeah. and so it is scary too to be confronted with with that. So in some with some in the case of Spirit Fairer, you know, reading this, watching this story unfold, um, it just sort of, it just sort of landed how, doesn't matter how old you get, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, um, we are all fighting internal battles. And that's just something yeah. that is a truth. And um, the battle may not ever get easier. You just get stronger or you just learn how to endure. Um, and it was interesting because I was also watching um, The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, which is another story that kind of has a lot of interesting um, parallels to our journeys with with mental illness or mm-hmm. with um, marginalized identities um, and something that happens, I guess, if if you want to avoid any major spoilers for The Haunting of Bly Manor, um, feel free to skip ahead to the interview. Um, but essentially, the end game um, sort of centers around this main character who, in order to sort of save people she loves from this ghost uh, who has become violent and consumed by its rage, she invites the spirit into herself in order to stop it from wreaking havoc uh, out in the world. And and as a result, um, in the sort of epilogue of the story, um, she starts a life with her partner, um, who is also a woman, love that. <laughs> but um, she she mentions to her partner, like, you know, this spirit inside me I feel like I'm in, I'm walking in the jungle and there's a beast stalking me and it's waiting for me to put my guard down. And it, and one day it's going to be too strong and it's going to take me. Um, and that immediately just hit me because that's something that I've thought just in my darkest, weakest moments, like it's going to take me. And, um, and this woman, you know, she lives, uh, like 10 years of happiness with her partner, um, knowing, like seeing the ghost, having moments where she can't control the anxiety. She has anxiety attacks. She has trouble sleeping. She has moments where she doesn't know who she is or where she is, which are all things <laughs> that like I can certainly relate to. And it gets to the point where um, she can't, fight it anymore and in order to 
stop the ghost from from coming out and and causing more violence she takes her own life in order to protect the life of her partner um and and the other people that she loves mm-hmm. and um so you know <laughs> that was a quite literal like another example of this this thing and um I don't know if I necessarily have a neat <laughs> like lesson that I'm that I'm taking from this. Um I think again it's just something for me to meditate on in, in terms of um we all only have a certain amount of time on this world. Yeah. Um you really do in some ways have to take things one day at a time. Some days will be good. Some days will be bad. Um, but it's never just like, it sounds cheesy to say like, it's not your fault. Like I think, um, there's just forces operating (laughs) and, we just have to do the best we can, I guess. Yeah. And like what I think, what I think one of the ultimate messages of, I don't know, there's so many messages that I can pull from spirit fair, but I think one of the, one of the messages that in that's in there is that like, there is a time to move on mm-hmm. and like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like none of the characters are seen as failing for reaching the point. Like that's what you're, mm-hmm. that's the goal that you're working towards is to be ready to ascend to the next plane. And, and something in, in summer story that, that resonated with me personally. I mean, I've, I've said like, I also deal with anxiety. Our anxiety is different. You and Mm -hmm. I have talked about that a lot, but, but one thing that Summer said that really resonated with me was that she'd been trying to learn to love it, Mm -hmm. like to love that piece of herself. And I feel like that's something that I'm constantly challenged by like, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I don't know. This is a powerful game and it fucked me up. Mm -hmm. Um, but kind of like one one of the things that I was left thinking about after beating this a week ago is like that cozy bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how, why is it cozy? Like, why is it comforting to wrap ourselves in this kind of sadness to watch this kind of stuff play out? Like, to feel close mm-hmm. to that, to see the that kind that darker stuff reflected. Um, and I was thinking on uh, near the very end of the game you start to realize that Stella is going to have to move on as Mm. well. Mm. That she's working towards her own ascension into Mm. the next plane. And there's these scenes that happen throughout the game where you're visited by this giant white owl Mm -hmm. who is, uh, you realize is like symbolic of death, Mm. like as an entity. And one of the last times that he comes to you, to Stella, he's asking her why she chose this life. Like why she, has chosen to be a spirit fair and why she's doing this for the spirits. And he says, was your vocation an affectionate duty born of compassion or a display of selfishness of everlasting uncertainty? Did you do it for them or for yourself to know me and grow accustomed to my presence to conquer me? Am I less daunting to you now? Or am I still a ghastly shadow, a deafening absence? Mm. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I feel like, that's death talking to Stella, but it also feels like the game talking to us, the players. Like, mm-hmm. why are we drawn to stories about sadness and de- death and darkness like this? And I, I feel like part of what makes it comforting is that in 
putting ourselves in proximity to these kind of um, almost untouchable, unknowable things, we can pretend like we have some level of familiarity with Mm -hmm. it to try to make it less scary. Like if we can find the beauty in transience, uh, it can feel less horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of the thing that that I've been sitting with because it is sad to know that everything passes. And I think you know, even if you haven't experienced a lot of death in your life, there's a lot about spirit fair that just speaks to the way people move in and out of each other's lives, how we'll be a part of each other's lives and we'll do things for each other and we'll impact each other in ways we understand and ways we don't. And then we'll move out and you might never see that person again. Um, But like knowing that it's all temporary, knowing that you can and will lose someone. um, Mm -hmm. I think that's part of like that reminder to invest deeper, that reminder to, put down the mundane shit and try to connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause people make life worth living. And when I am in like a really dark place and feeling weak and feeling like I might be consumed, it's people that make me come back to myself. Like, it's not like, Oh, I have to stay alive for my apartment and (laughs) job. It's, I have to stay alive because of Jamie so that she can be at my wedding for my cat (laughs) so that someone will feed her for my partner because we have this whole life together. And, you know, it's like, those are the connections that, that give life meaning. So yeah, I love that, that what you just said about encouraging you to just dig deeper because it is all temporary. Yeah. Uh, So on that super peppy note, damn. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Thanks for hanging with us for that, uh, that heavy conversation. I promise this interview we're about to go into is not quite as heavy. uh, Sorry, Mars. (laughs) (laughs) Spencer and I got to chat with the wonderful Mars Dixon. Um, who is a streamer, a uh, game streamer, uh, We Gay is the name of their channel, W-I-I Gay. And uh, we had an awesome conversation with Mars. Mars really is, uh, there's a lot of um, synergy between uh, why Mars got into streaming and why we got into podcasting and this idea that we just want to broaden the idea of what a gamer is and invite more people into that space. And so we had a really awesome conversation with him. Yeah. And um, Mars uses they, he, and she pronouns. Um, They are an awesome um, black, queer, streamer, gamer, musician. Uh, They are in the band I, Nicole. Um, they are also Philippinex, which is an awesome way we also connected. Um, they're just really cool. Highly recommend that you check out their channels and that's at we, W-I-I underscore gay, G-A-Y. Um, we get into just awesome discussions about identity, why we game, um, as well as talking about, um, The Sims, uh, mm. which has a surprisingly interesting gay queer history yeah. uh, that we're just really, really excited uh, to dive into. Uh, we loved hanging out with Mars. Uh, we hope to have them to connect with them or collab with them in some other way in the future. Um, so yeah, we can't wait to share this convo with you. Hello, Mars.
Pixels. Thank you so much for joining us in the Pixel Therapy Studio. We're so of happy course. to have you. Um, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, for those who don't know you, do you maybe want to maybe start by telling us what you were up to before quarantine hit? Oh, okay. And then what you're up to now. Okay. Um, so my name is Mars. Usually I'm playing music, but I started a, a, a gaming channel on YouTube and mm-hmm. Twitch, but more active on YouTube. Almost two years ago now, actually. I haven't been playing music so much since quarantine. Mm. Um, I haven't been working, so I've been recording a lot for my channel. And I also started doing adult rated video mm. games for uh i have like a Pornhub channel where i i'm not naked but i'm yeah. like playing like adult games cool yeah <laughs> with, with friends um with myself yeah <laughs> like it's ju- it's just like an extension of my youtube channel but just like games that youtube will definitely not allow me to post mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah. have you always identified as a gamer i have i've been playing video games since maybe like i um uh, i was five or something mm-hmm. and yeah i just like fell in love with in love with them like very early on um when i was younger i had older brothers who were in high school and like stoners and like into 80s metal and stuff like that. And like, they definitely loved video games. And when they weren't playing, I was playing their video games, like when they left the house. Yeah. And what's kind of significance do games have to you now as an adult? I guess when I first started playing games, it was kind of more just like escapism. But now it's kind of like, I don't know, like, I mean, it's, it's like a way to like connect with other people. And video games has kind of helped me rekindle my relationship with my little brother because mm. we've been playing we've been playing video games a lot like online because he we don't live in the same place yeah um but it's really like kind of like glued back like glued together our relationship mm. playing video games together yeah um and we talk to each other almost every single day now but like after i moved away from home we just mm. not, i don't know we like kind of stop talking to each other as much. Yeah. That resonates. Like I, like my whole family live, I'm from Delaware and my whole family pretty much lives in the kind of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware area. And there was definitely like, I have eight, nine cousins and and that's just the ones (laughs) and like my first cousins and growing up. Yeah. Like you said, like I have so many memories of like everything from like Dr. Mario to like Super Smash Brothers. And I've certainly, especially, I mean, the quarantine has brought this into even sharper focus, but I just feel the distance. Like I really feel like, wow, like my cousins are getting older. Um, I think too, like I, I never really explained, not that I should have had to, but I never really explained to my cousins like, hey, I'm trans, I'm non-binary, I'm on testosterone, uh, I look really yeah. different. I sound different, but we haven't been around each other enough for it to be like a casual thing I can bring up, especially when I'm home. And I feel like we're at the point now where I guess what resonated was just that lately we've revived this like cousin group chat. And the thing 
that has not changed between us is that we can instantly talk about Naruto or we can talk about <laughs> games or like, yeah. like if anything else, like even if I haven't talked to some of them in literal years, like we can still just connect over that. And it's just really cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us about your oh. channel. <laughs> my channel. Okay. We gay. Yeah. My channel's called we gay W I I. And hopefully Nintendo won't, um, <laughs> get me for that. But I, I, it's like a small, it's a pretty small channel. But yeah, I started it. Why well, I actually tried to start a channel like years and years before, but I just didn't really, I, I guess I didn't have the patience to figure out how to record everything and put it together. Mm. Um, but then uh, around the time my band broke up, because I was like all about mm. like music. Like I, I even stopped playing video games for a while to focus on music. Yeah. Um, but then my band broke up and I was like, well, this is something I've always wanted to do. So now I have time to do it cause I'm not playing music. And so I just like got just like cheap versions of things to like help me record. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I started it cause I, I just like didn't see people who looked like me or like had politics like I do, mm. like. And also, I just love video games and the way I play video games. Well, I say to myself, any game I play instantly becomes a gay video game mm-hmm. just because of the way I play it or like the way I interact with the game. Like, hell yeah, I make it gay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you're an integral part of the game doesn't exist without you putting yourself into it. So exactly. Oh, something I love about your channel too is uh, your channel description, which says <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, a gaming channel for LGBTQ people who aren't yet gamers. Um, and that really, I, I love that because something that we talk about in like our fir- very first episode of this podcast was like, I, Spencer, don't necessarily feel comfortable identifying as a gamer because I think it carries a lot of connotation and it also just is a community that's very it's a lot (laughs) sometimes and so I'm just curious to know like what what your intent was um when you were writing that and and kind of like what kind of space you're trying to create with the channel um yeah I so I don't have a whole lot of gamer friends Mm. but I feel like a lot of people who a lot of my friends who think of video games, they think of like, like stereotypical, like slacker or like mm. gross, like white men or teenage boys, like sitting in their mom's basement or, you know, think of only think of like Call of Duty or like other like violent shooting games mm-hmm. or whatever. And I just wanted to show like, there's different kinds of video games out there. I don't know. I just kind of think that anyone could be a gamer. When I've talked to some of my friends who've been interested in video games, they were like, yeah, like I didn't feel like there was space for me. So I never played video games growing up. Yeah. And yeah, I just want to make the space more welcoming. And I just like tell people like, you don't have to be into video games or know anything about video games to like, watch my channel. And also a lot of the guests I purposely invite 
are people who aren't game don't identify as as gamers because mm. I just want to like just like open it up and yeah. I, and also I just kind of hate gamer culture mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it just like really bothers me and so I want to help change it. I love that. Like that's we we should get you. We need you on the show because like. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of similarities Same. in terms of why we started this podcast, too. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about, like, when you say you hate gamer culture, like, can you say more <laughs> about, like, what's up there? <laughs> There's just so much garbage. There's so much garbage mm. in gamer culture and... I, yeah, it's just, like, so male dominated and just like feels so like icky and like racist and like women hating and Mm. it's just like I don't know I'm just like I I guess I used to think like oh like video games are for like the outcast like the weirdos the nerds but I'm just like you're just like the jocks or whatever like wow yeah (laughs) you're no different Mm-hmm. Like you're not unique. You're not. You don't think differently. Like you're not an outsider. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. like a culture of people who have latched so hard onto that nerd identity that the idea of anyone else that's not like them coming in and trying to lay claim to it too, and saying like, "Oh, we're we're on the same page. We're nerds too." That they just immediately feel like they have to put up a wall because they feel like they've claimed this space as theirs, and now they need to defend it instead yeah. of just opening it up to more people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, okay, it's so funny that we're talking about this because so the game that you wanted to talk to us about, Mars, was The Sims One. Yeah. <laughs> um and are y'all familiar with the fraught gay history drama that surrounded The Sims and its inception? Cause I was reading about it and okay, I'm gonna take the <laughs> silence as a no and I just I'm not <laughs> sure. I I I'm not sure. I'm curious to hear what you're going to (laughs) say. Okay. So Maxis, right, was the original um, developer. They made SimCity, which was like a very high level. uh, I mean, it's not that high level, but (laughs) you're not right there in the moment with folks. You're uh, hovering above and you're managing your your bustling metropolis. And so this was like 1999 and EA had just purchased Maxis and Will Wright, the creator of The Sims, had been working on his, what at that time was his concept for The Sims. And he, because he wanted The Sims to be something different from SimCity, he wanted it to encapsulate as much as it could of the human experience in a natural way. It included the ability to make a trans character, to make a gay character. And, um, Maxis, like at that time, they were like, uh, like, uh, Will was like, you know, this game is gonna be great. It's gonna attract female gamers. Um, because today, like, like what, like 60% of gamers, uh, identify as women and, uh, or along the spectrum of womanhood. Um, and, Maxis was like, no, 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 no. Like, women don't play games. Like, that's ridiculous. Uh, We can't have this gay shit in here. Like, take that stuff out. And so the game was planning to go to production with the ability, like, all the code for being able to be gay, like, taken out. And shortly before that happened, um, they hired a developer 
named Patrick J. Barrett III, who happened to be gay. And shortly after he came on board, he was given this old design document to work on implementing social interactions for The Sims. And the the document was old, so it still included the code for making them gay. And he didn't know, like, he was like, oh, well, this seems like it should be in the game. And so he put it in. And it wasn't (laughs) until a demo of the game was unveiled at E3 in, like, 1999. Um, And in the background of the video, there were two uh, women Sims kissing. And so at that point, it was basically too late. And they were like, oh, fuck, there's gay shit in the game. Um, And it became, like... I, I, I think, like, uh, for you, and which I, I'd love to hear you talk about, but uh, for me and a bunch of other people as well, like, it was the place where we learned that we were queer or was the only safe space in <laughs> our rural or super suburban uh, homes, super Roman Catholic or whatever surrounded you. Like, uh, it was the place to, like, figure some shit out. And so I just think the fact that not only was the game almost killed multiple times, not only was Maxis a company that had a history of, uh, like, another person in 1996, a gay programmer, was fired when he put just implied, like, two men were, like, too close to each other in a sim copter game, and he was fired. <laughs> uh, this was a company that was intent on not having any, uh, you know, ho- homosexual content in these games. Yeah. Um, but then when this game came out, it was the very first game that facilitated uh, same-sex relationships and it defined an entire generation of games after that. So like, it's just like queer people rock. Um, <laughs> but I'd love to hear, I feel like everyone remembers where they were the first time they played The Sims. Like how did The yes. Sims come into your life? Tell us about that. <laughs> That's really funny. I actually do kind of remember that story now uh, from listening because I'm, I'm also a podcast nerd. And I, <laughs> I think I heard about that story on a podcast that was specifically about The Sims. Awesome. And how they were like going to take it offline and how people were like mm. getting so sad. But anyways, I got into The Sims. Um, I was at a barbecue. I was visiting my sister in Kentucky, me and my little brother. We always like, so I'm from Arkansas, but we, in the summer, we would go visit my sister in Kentucky Mm. and we went to one of our friends' house and they had two sons and we, yeah, they were having a barbecue and most of the time, or like when we got there, we were just kind of like outside on their like dock. And then I go inside and one of the kids was like, Hey, you want to see this game? (laughs) And I was like, I love video games. Like, of course I want to see it. And it was The Sims. And yeah. yeah, he just like boots up the computer and like shows me his world. And I was mm. like, what? Because <laughs> I, it's, it's funny because like I had always imagined this game. Like as a young gamer, like I was like, I wish there was a game where you could like go to the bathroom because I like, <laughs> never get to see that kind of stuff. And like, <laughs> I like, this was like the game I'd been dreaming of yeah. since I was a little kid. And I think... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> At this time I was maybe like 13, 14 or something around there. And I didn't have a computer at the time, at, like at my own house. Mm. And so I was like, I, I have to get a computer. I have to get yeah. this game. And so, yeah, he was like showing me the game. And then I was immediately like so addicted and like, 
everyone left the room and like they were like went down to like eat because <laughs> yeah. like we're at a barbecue and I was yeah. like I don't need to eat ever again like, <laughs> I have the sims now I can cook my own food in the sims <laughs> yeah I, and so yeah I played for hours for hours and everyone else was like already like they were like outside and I was yeah. like, nope, nope, nope. I'm, I'm playing. <laughs> and yeah, I, when we got, I eventually did have to leave. They had to like pry the mouse out of my hand yeah. to get me to like leave their house. <laughs> um, and I just couldn't stop thinking about the Sims. And I was like begging my sister. I was like, can I like, I will do extra yard work if I can like, you will pay uh, me so I can like save up for a computer. I need yeah. to get a computer. I need to get the Sims. And I remember later that year seeing the Sims on, it was like in Best Buy or something. There was, they were like doing like, it was like a Black Friday deal. And I was like, mm. I will go, I will wake up early, go and wait in line with you. Cause my <laughs> sister also really loved to like take us to these like Black Friday deals and like, mm. yeah, wake up at like, four in the morning or whatever and like stand in line. Yeah. And yeah, I, that's how I got the Sims was at a black Friday deal Love at it. Best Buy, <laughs> but then I didn't have a computer yet. Um, but I, I could like play on my sister's computer, but then oh, when man. I went back to Arkansas, I didn't, I had the game, but I didn't have a computer. Yeah. But uh, I've carrying it around to people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> eventually my sister like gave me her old computer yeah. and yeah. I could not stop playing. And like, uh, I remember there's a website called seven deadly Sims oh. and you can like get different like skins and stuff. And there was like, mm. they had like Britney Spears and I was really into that pop group dream. Mm. If you remember, they had a song called he loves you not. Mm. Um, I was going <laughs> to sing it, but I'm too embarrassed, oh. but it was just like, it was like P Diddy or Puff Daddy, whatever mm. he's going by now. His like project, yeah. like girl, like four, like teenage pop group, girl group. Um, but anyways, there was a skin for them. And mm. so I had like dream in my game, <laughs> like in my house. Like so second I could, life. Like, yeah. Be their, yeah. So I could like be their like girlfriend because mm. well, I identified as a girl at mm. the time. Um, but yeah, like so many lesbian households, like I was, yeah. Yeah. I was taken away. The way that they built that system too is really cool. Um, like in just in reading about the game, like it feels so, even though it was like 20 plus years ago, like it feels progressive, especially now. Like there was this quote in, uh, this article in the New Yorker that I was reading and, um, Barrett, the engineer who had managed to get the gay code back into the game, ha, um, said um, EA was more worried that The Sims would flop and hurt the SimCity franchise. It was a different time. People weren't so violently for or against same-sex relationships. They didn't go out of the way to find it and react to it. The right-wing press didn't have the platform they have today to scream. There was no Twitter, no Facebook, no blogs. I kind of hoped that people would come at night with pitchforks and torches, but it never happened. Um, and I just think it's like today, I feel like, <laughs> I, guess what, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like, um, like The Sims was the first game where I like was able to actualize 
the like twinky gay boy that I saw myself as in my head, but that no one in real life saw me as <laughs> or would validate. <laughs> yes. And like when I constructed that character in the game, it was like alchemy was happening in my bedroom and the, and my parents, no one was there to stop me. And it's like, like there is something so radically queer about just being able to jump in bed with other Sims and like, like, they're like, hey, parents, you're worried that I'm watching like movies and, and shit. Like this game is is like teaching me more about what's possible than than any film. And yes, the way that they built the um the algorithm for sim sexuality was interesting because um like typically, I mean, most games are fundamentally just like if there was going to be attraction, it would be heterosexual. And so initially they set it up so that like whoever the sim was in proximity to, they would eventually fall in love with. But what they quickly found was that like every character was then gay if they were living in mm-hmm. a same sex household. And, it, <laughs> and so, or every character was straight in, in a, a opposite sex or cisgender, other mixed gender household. Um, and so what they ended up doing was changing it to be something more natural and organic. And it had more to do with, um, like you had to actually build relationships uh, and get to certain uh, uh, conversation decision options that would become available only after you reach a certain level with certain sims. And so really every person was bisexual, pansexual, like, like the capacity to be anything was within everyone. And I'm just like, everyone in this game is like non-binary and <laughs> sexually fluid and like this is great so something else that really stood out to me in the reviews for the original sims is that um the sound design like i kind of just wanted to nerd out about the sound design of the sims for a sec um, the reviews like really played up that part of what was so immersive about it was everything from like car sounds going by the house to chopping vegetables was like lovingly obsessively rendered and stuff like the music from just building your house and shopping mm-hmm. for furniture is so iconic that it's still, I mean, it plays in my mind for sure. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like as someone who loves music, like I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on, on that or if there's any, um, anything about the Sims sound design that that stands out in your mind? Well, I have not, for the past like month, I haven't been able to stop doing the Postal Girls whistle. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just like, I'm just like doing it when I'm like, I don't know, like walking around my house. The I'll, I'll try to do it. It's like, Oh like God. that. Do you remember that whistle? Oh my God. She, <laughs> I can't stop doing it. Like it's just stuck yeah. in my head. Um, but yeah, I love, I love the sounds in that game and like, mm-hmm. just like the, I don't, just like when like something's on fire or I don't know, when someone's like excited, just, it's just like so funny. It's just like, I feel like I laughed a lot just hearing them like talk. Yeah, it's like gibberish, but you know exactly like what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's and even like when you like turn on the uh TV, just like the horror channel or like the romance channel, like 
Mm. It's, it's mm. so interesting. Oh, I was, <laughs> I just remembered as I was saying that, that I also learned how to put my own music into the game. Oh so like God. I could like turn on <gasps> the radio like, on. I could turn the radio on and like play like whatever music I put. I like put, I remember I figured out how to like put my own pictures into the game so I can like put up posters of whatever I wanted. Mm. Like I, I figured out how to like customize nice. and like build my, my own skins and stuff. I never, nice. I never really learned how to build this, the skins properly, but I had the program to do it. Mm-hmm. You touched earlier on, I wanted to bring it back to like, you mentioned, you know, how initially it enchanted you and you got obsessed with it and you had to play it and you, and you got your own copy. Um, I'd love to hear more about like why the Sims is special to you even now as an adult. Like what about the game um, was meaningful to you? How did it influence you? Um, yeah, I think just the, having the outlet to, okay, so I knew I was gay, like, that's like one of my earliest memories. Like, I knew I was gay, I knew I was trans, even though I didn't have the language for it. I just, like, already knew those things, but I didn't really have an outlet to, like, express that sexuality. And I feel Mm. like The Sims really helped me, like, kind of, like, see what it could look like. Uh, to like be in a relationship and to like have a home mm. that's like mine and it's queer and I can like, yeah, just like build. I also, I like had a not so great childhood. So like it really helped to have like, yeah, just like envision what my life could be like once I escape this hell. Mm. And yeah, I think I could just like make the house make my house look the way I want it and have like my girlfriend or girlfriends or whatever live with me and like, yeah, like call, call. I, and I would have like friends. I can like, you can like, cause you can like call friends over and like have like a pizza party or whatever. Like, (laughs) Yeah, being a, I was like, damn, being an adult rocks. You can just invite yeah. all your friends over and have a pizza party <laughs> exactly, whenever you want. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, I think just being able to like, yeah, visualize what I want my future to look like. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could, yeah, this seems really helpful. That's beautiful. I, I, I really, when I think about my childhood, I find that I, I, describe it as tunnel vision. Like I wasn't thinking about anything other than the future because I had to. Mm-hmm. And um, things like the Sims were portals to like tell it, like helping myself believe that something like that, I could get there. Um, just, just what you said about, about that, about it being a tool to help, you know, visualize a, a, a different future for yourself. Like, yeah, like this is a queer ass game. Um, you know, something that I think it's so beautifully cyclical too. There is one more quote from that developer, um, Mr. Barrett, that I wanted to share with y'all. And in this a New Yorker article from 2014, he was reflecting on the whole experience. And he said, um, at the time, it wasn't considered normal to be gay or lesbian. Some people even saw it as dangerous. This is late 90s, early 2000s. 
But in The Sims, it was normal and safe to be a gay person. It was the first time we could play a game and be free to see ourselves represented within. It was a magical moment when my first same-sex Sims couple kissed. I still sometimes wonder how in the world I got away with it. (laughs) (laughs) I was getting goosebumps a little bit there. I mean, that could... And that could be you today. Like that's all of yeah. us. Like I just think that that's so beautiful. Like, and I did not know this about The Sims, and um, it's like I just think it reminds me that queer and trans people, we've always been here. We've always been uh, part of society. We've always been making society. We've always been making culture um, and contributing to culture. It's not new. This isn't yeah. like a fad. Uh, it's just a new way of scapegoating and persecuting people for being different. Um, but we will persevere. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> We've been talking about very wholesome ways that we create communities online, but I'd love to hear more about how you're using Pornhub as another gaming <laughs> Um... <laughs> I guess, yeah. So there was one game called, this indie game called Yearning. And it's, I found it on Itch.io. And it's like a, it's like gay coming of age, uh, visual novel kind of thing. And there were some like sort of explicit moments in that game. And then I was like, wait. If there's this, there's gotta be, and I, and I kind of already knew there were like more like, I guess like when you're on like Pirate Bay, like there'll be like games advertised on the side. Like, mm. I'm not even going to say like the things I've seen them <laughs> say, <laughs> but yeah, just like, <laughs> boys, like boys, boys. girls or whatever. Yeah. Big <laughs> yeah. city goth GF. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like stuff like that. Um, and I, like, I knew about those games, but I wanted to see if there were like games that had more like story or something that aren't just about like the sex part. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I love the sex part too, but like, <laughs> and yeah, so this game yearning, I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is cool. I, I definitely had to like censor some of it because of, mm. they were just like full on showing like penises and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I want to play games that are like this, but not censor them. Mm. And so I was like, I went to Pornhub to see if anyone was really doing that. And there, I saw like a few people doing that, but they weren't, they weren't doing face cams mm. and they weren't even like doing voice. So I was like, <laughs> I'm going to do it then I'm going to do this. Yeah. Um, like I want, yeah. Like why this, yeah, this should just be like an extension the dirty extension of we gay. Mm-hmm. It's a different, I, we gay after dark. Yeah. That's what I should have called it. Maybe I can still change it, but it's called gay arch enemy. Nice. <laughs> With underscores. <laughs> I don't post there as often, but I might start posting there more often because I also started doing another kind of like adult rated mm. thing where I do commentary on porn like gay porn because um uh someone who i kind of became friends with now this gay porn actor named joel someone Mm. and he saw my videos on instagram and he's like 
you're fucking funny. Yeah. And like asked me to do commentary on one of his, on his porn. And I was like, that's <laughs> weird. And yes, I love that idea. That's awesome. And so I've done two so far. I've done one for his and I, and then he posted it on Twitter and like this other person was like, will you do one of mine? And like oh my gave gosh. me like a, a seven day trial of his OnlyFans <laughs> and like, I did like a few videos. You have a voice for porn. <laughs> <laughs> and so I want to, yeah, I like if, if anyone listening, like you do porn, like I will do commentary face cam mm-hmm. and like you get to see my genuine reaction to your mm-hmm. work. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's like another little branch of like my we gay channel. I mean, I kind of love that. Honestly, like one of the things that has sort of, I mean, I've definitely been taking a break from being a gay slut just because of like trauma and wanting to like work through some shit after a particularly painful breakup and a lot of other things. Um, So I haven't really been engaging. I wasn't engaging that much before quarantine hit, but I mean, just the, the concept of going to a play party of sharing space in terms of like uh see like a BDSM scene or or even just like dancing in the club with other queers and just like having that feels years away from us at this point um yeah. at least right now and so again i just love the ingenuity of tech savvy gays to be like (laughs) let's fucking make a stream where because that like i don't know it feels like when i watch streamers and stuff it's like community like i feel like i'm just like chilling with someone on their couch and just having a convo and like it's silly but and and it's not always in a healthy way that that sex is that can that can that it can be um super commonplace and prevalent in the queer community in ways that like, like I'm not saying that to be in queer community, we have to be like talking about or engaging with sex, but I think having ways to like, like I think when we see each other and when we are around each other and engaging with each other around sex, it can be really like joyful and, and validating and fun and sexy and a distraction and all of that. But I just love that. Um, (laughs) Have you like, I just, I'm just curious to know if you have any, like, has there been any kind of feedback or what kind of reactions have you gotten from folks? Like what's the engagement been like with, with that kind of stuff? Um, It's for the most part has been pretty positive. Um, (laughs) There was one time I posted. Okay. So one of my favorite things to do with video games which is also part of the reason why I love The Sims, is customization. <laughs> mm. I love a, to create a character. That's like one of my favorite fucking things. Mm-hmm. Wait, can I cuss? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we just talked about Pornhub for like, like 10 minutes, okay, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I play like the wrestling games, like uh, WWE, 2K, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't like to wrestle. I, well, okay. I love wrestling. I grew up on wrestling. I'm from Arkansas. Like that's Mm. like wrestling video games. Like that, that's, that was growing up in Arkansas, but I don't really enjoy at least in these newer games. I don't really enjoy playing the wrestling part. I just love Mm. to create a really, Mm. really gay character and like create like the entrance. Mm. And so 
I, I do that often and I can like spend hours, but I posted a video on Instagram and someone, someone posted or commented, Oh God, I can't even remember, but it was something, <laughs> it was just like too gay for them. It was too gay uh, for them. Yeah. Um, like something like we don't need gays in wrestling or something like that. I don't really remember. I wrestling like is so gay. Come on. I'm, they, I'm, they yeah. wrestling? They're like wrestling? naked. They're like basically naked, rubbing up on each other, all oiled up. Oiled up. Just like, just like they're like touching each other's butts and like mm-hmm. it's super groaning. Gay. It's yeah. Like, come on. Come on now. But um yeah, I just like immediately so I just like immediately blocked it. But but yeah, I haven't really seen too much of that. Mm-hmm. I, I and that's one thing I kind of fear as my channel it grows, like mm-hmm. having trolls, but I haven't mm-hmm. luckily had too much of a problem with that like people have been pretty positive about good. the stuff i'm doing that's good i'm glad to hear that yeah i, I i'll like it it's scary because it's clear how quickly and vindictively and overwhelmingly the community can come down on folks that they identify as not being acceptable so um i think it's really awesome what you're doing um and yeah, I I'm glad that you haven't haven't experienced that. Um, just one last question for you. Um, just as someone who has been a lifelong gamer and someone who's engaged in creating content that you know, like it's not like gamers like us have never been around. It's just that like I feel like finally we're starting to like 2020. We have games where we have playable trans characters and narratives that center POC and actually honor the cultural identities of POC as well as skin color. Like I'm not actually really excited for the new Miles Morales Spider-Man game because they're like including his like Afro-Latino identity. Uh, it's, he's not just like a body that we're applying a skin onto. He's a fully realized yeah. person. And he deserves that. Um, yeah. So like, I guess I'm just curious to know, like, how you feel. Like, what are you excited? Like, what would you love to see change in the gaming community? Or what are you excited about when you look to the future and as someone who's helping kind of create content in that future? Um, No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) I, wow. Yeah, I guess I just want to see more people who look like us playing video games and, like, making video games and streaming and, you know, creating content around video games and doing reviews and stuff. And yeah, I just like really want to help change the face Mm. of like, you know, what a gamer looks like. Mm. Um, Yeah. And yeah. Oh, tomorrow I'm actually going to the, game devs of color mm. uh, conference that's happening it's happening online but um i went last year in i think it was in harlem mm. and yeah like it's just like i feel like that's like another thing that it's just kind of like bringing us together like all, all the like people who are kind of like the outsiders of the outsiders mm. in like just like black and brown like nerds <laughs> creating games playing video games and like connecting with each other um and yeah i just want to like be a part of that <laughs> yeah that's awesome 
Mars, it's been so lovely um, having this time with you and thank you for your patience through our technical difficulties. Oh, yeah. Um, of before <laughs> we let you go, um, where can folks find you online? And um, is there anything you're up to these days that you want folks to know about? You can find me on, well, my YouTube channel is just called We Gay, W I I Gay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Same thing on Twitch (laughs) and my, I'm on Instagram a lot and I don't use my gamer name. I use a name that my older sister came up with, which is M M dizzy, like M M D. Those used to be my initials back in the AOL days. Mm. Um, So M M dizzy, M M D I Z Z I E um, on Instagram. I, fr- I think we gay, I think I also use we gay on Twitter. I'm not on there as much, um, but those are my social media things. And, and Patreon. Then, Support oh, yeah, Mars Patreon. on Patreon. Yes, I have a Patreon. Um, also, we gay. And I guess uh, there's nothing big that I'm really working on just yet mm-hmm. that I'm telling people about. Um, so yeah, come find me on the social media. Yeah, get it on the ground level before they blow up, people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mars, thank you. Of Um, course. Yeah, thank you for having me. Time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you enjoyed this episode, we would very much appreciate it if you could rate us and review us on your podcast application of choice, because it does make a big difference for an up-and-coming podcast like ourselves. If you want to reach out to us, you can get us by email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. And you can stay up to date on all things Pixel Therapy by following us on social media at pixeltherapypod or by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. We're especially a lot of fun on Instagram, and we are desperately trying to get better at Twitter, so follows and Twitter tips are appreciated. (laughs) Finally, um, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Um, And these side quests are different um, mutual aid opportunities, uh, fundraisers, organizations, community groups, um, just like different ways that you can get involved either in your own community or on a wider scale um, with issues that are just really important, uh, (laughs) for lack of a better word. Um, So this week, uh, we wanted to let you know about a really um, important GoFundMe um, called the Homeless Black Trans Women Fund. And you can find it by Googling uh, homeless Black Trans Women Fund GoFundMe. Um, I would be too long for me to read you the whole GoFundMe link. Um, but this is a fund that was started in December 2019 by Jesse Pratt Lopez. Um, Jesse is a trans Latina from, from Colombia um, who lives in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, she uses her experiences as a documentary photographer and grassroots activist um, to help folks from her community use their voices to resist systems of oppression and step into their own power. Um, you can check out her photography at www.jprattlopez.photos. Um, and the fund 
So the fund was started for a small community of Black trans women living on the streets of Atlanta, Georgia, many of whom are also sex workers. Um, using this fund, um, the group has been able to help this community with direct mutual aid um, and has also grown into an, a unique opportunity to alleviate the chronic homelessness that exists among trans people in Atlanta, especially among black and brown trans people. Um, so you can donate to this fund as directly being used to help the community of Atlanta. Um, and yeah, like support black trans women, support black trans sex workers. Um, this is a great opportunity to do that. So again, check out the Homeless Black Trans Women Fund on GoFundMe.com. Thank you for that important side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. Uh, So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel Therapy. I just want to say it together. And we sort of did. (laughs) 